Hey, so uh, we came in yesterday to set up a couple things, and the electrician was here. The fans are on site. They're supposed to be right there. 60-inch fans, two of them. That's 120 inches moving a lot of the air force. He got called off the job to go to another job. So uh, we have switches that go to absolutely nothing right now, but next Sunday we will have fans turning that air, and we'll turn the box fans off. Hopefully we'll hear each other better. Uh, and it'll feel better as well. So uh, we were that close, that close. Uh, so I want to do a little bit kind of what we did last week, if you were with us. Uh, just before we jump in, let's uh, spend some time praying for those that are not able to be with us this morning. Uh, uh, we know, um, I know the Walker family. Uh, Chris is traveling out of town, and while he's traveling out of town, his wife and kids have been sick all week. Uh, so I uh, just want to spend some time praying for them. Uh, uh, and I have a, a burden for us to continue to pray. We got to hang out with, with Lucas for a little bit this week while we were working on uh, Stephen's car. Uh, I want to pray for Lucas again this morning, um, just that God continues to pursue him. Uh, anybody else that you guys think of that we need to be in prayer for this morning before we move into time of teaching? Anybody else? Julio. Yes, definitely. I talked to Julio. He was, Julio is with the National Guard and they had him busy last weekend. Uh, so not sure where he's at today, but we want to pray that God is uh, speaking and calling and working in his heart today, wherever he's at. Uh, anybody else we can think of we want to pray for this morning? Greg. Greg. Yeah, I talked to Greg yesterday. He said, I'll see you in the morning. So I'm not sure where Greg is right now. Uh, so absolutely. Pray that God would encourage him. And, uh, and all these guys, the guys that are coming to our mind, let's pray and let's reach out to them that they might be with us on Wednesday for that time of uh, encouragement and teaching on Wednesday. I saw Mark yesterday at Logos too. So who? Mark. Uh, your buddy oh, Mark. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. Somebody, will somebody pray for the Walkers? Somebody, somebody pray for Julio? Lucas? Okay. Uh, who else did we just say? Uh, Greg. Somebody pray for Greg. Greg. And is anybody in here like, dude, I'm just completely distracted right now because everything that's circling in my mind right now, would you pray for me? Is there anything we can pray for you guys about? Pray for each other about? Uh, We've also got Whitney, who is traveling today from Georgia, okay? Uh, so she's on the road. Uh, Hannah was on the road all last night and just completely exhausted and toast this morning. Uh, so we have spouses that are not with us this morning. Anybody in here that we can pray for before we move ahead? Okay. Well, if you just committed to pray for somebody, will we start around here and just go around and pray for those that you, you committed to pray for, and then we'll, we'll start. Father, I just, I pray for the family, 
Amen. So we're going to kick off a new discussion series this morning uh, concerning the gospel. Somebody tell me what gospel means. Good news. We're not talking about uh, Roscoe. Sorry, Roscoe. What he used to say. You didn't watch Dukes of Hazard? Oh my gosh. Okay, good news. The question is, what's so good about it, right? So uh, I, think, uh, I think there's a couple different people groups uh, that should be or are asking this question. Uh, number one, you've got existing believers in Jesus uh, that say the gospel is good news, um, but maybe don't see the implications of how it's good every day of your life. I've trusted in Jesus for eternal life, but why is it good for my everyday life? And we, as believers in Jesus, maybe sometimes can't answer that question. We want to get to that point where, where, uh, where you, can, you can look at your everyday life and your everyday circumstances. You can recognize the goodness of the gospel and speak the good news to each other and to others as well. Uh, but then obviously there's those who are not yet believers in Jesus, and they're asking the same question. Right or, or even if we don't know that gospel means good news, we hear people talk about Jesus. And we're, what's so good? What's so good about it? Right. Uh, so I think it's a fantastic question for us to ask, and it's going to draw a lot of other questions as well. But we're going to start off by talking about, and we're going to ask those on the front row here. And Micah, if you girls would help me out on this, I want to start with the kids. So we're starting out this morning talking about dads. Dads. So dads are good for a few things. Dads are good for a few things. Number one, dad jokes. Dads are good for dad jokes. I adopted my father's dad jokes long before I had kids. Uh, so I, I honed my dad joke skills really well. So um, it, it, in three and a half hours, it's going to be Chinese dentist time. Tooth hurty. <laughs> Right, every time I see 2.30 on the clock, it's Chinese dentist time. That's a dad joke that I adopted really young and I repeat over and over and over and over. Uh, um, oh, I, I, I'm gonna tell this. 
You ever have a thought, you're like, I don't know if I should, but I'm going to anyways. That's what I'm feeling right now. So um, a dad joke that I heard over and over and over growing up was this. Uh, so a guy walks up to a girl uh, and he says, would you like to dance? And she says, what? what? Would I like to dance? No, no. He said, oh, you misunderstood me. I said, you look fat in those pants. Dad jokes. Dads are good for those, right? But I want to ask the question, and let's start with the kids, and then we'll move out from there. Uh, Other than dad jokes, what are dads good for? What do we think the role and the purpose of a dad is in life? So let's ask this question. Micah, you ladies, what do you think dads are for? What are they good for? What do you think dads are for? You boys got an answer? What do you got? Helpful. Dads are good for being helpful. They are to help you. Okay? What else? Y'all got, Brant, what do you think dads are for? What do you think, why do you think you have a dad? What's he supposed to do? To provide. He gives house, shelter. So we're going to call that provide. Dads are good at providing and being helpful. Anything else? What do, you, what do you think? What's your dad good for? What is your dad for? What, what's he supposed to do as a dad? No? Sutton, Shaw, y'all got anything? Your dad's good for nothing? I got a dad who's good. Well, one more. Teaching. Teaching about uh, who God is, but just teaching in general, Right? Dads are supposed to be teachers, okay? So let's spread out into the room. What do we think dads are good for? What's the purpose of a dad? What do you got? Guide. So that's a step further than teaching. Teaching is information. Guiding is almost like wisdom. It's applied information. I want to help guide you through life and circumstances. What's a dad good for? What did you say? Is that where you're going? Yeah, especially at a young age, dads are protectors. Uh, and helicopter dads are always protectors because we just helicopter, right? Even when our kids are going to be 21, we're still protecting, uh, right? So what are dads good for? Anything else? You got one more? Being fun. Dads are good for adding fun to life. I like it. I like it. I'm glad she thinks of me as fun because sometimes I'm just not. All right? Anything else? What's a dad good for? Discipline. Discipline. Right on. Do not spare the rod. Spank the rear. Right? Discipline. Okay, so he's a rescuer for what? He's the rescue when you're broke down. He's the one you call. Uh, And so decision maker, just kind of head of household, helping navigate life. Uh, Somebody's got to ultimately say this is where the family's going, right? So let me give you a couple more that may not be up here. Uh, you got teach. Uh, I'm also going to say 
He not only teaches, but he models. Fathers model what it is we want our kids. You've heard it said that more things are caught than taught. Uh, so I think dad's model. Uh, I had correct, uh, but that also fits. I'm just going to write it down. I'm sure it fits somewhere into what we've already had. Correct, discipline, care. Dads are to care for. Children, provide, protect. Uh, and ultimately, they give us a picture of a heavenly father. Right? The, the, the ultimate purpose of a dad is to become a picture, an illustration of a heavenly father, right? Although imperfect, right? We're, we're, we're an imperfect picture of that. Uh, so here's what I want us to do. So these are kind of the, the role or the purpose of a dad, but I want us to consider for a second what happens when dads don't do that. I want us to consider what happens when dads don't do that. And I, I want to tell you a story this morning about a guy that I met um, when I was in Washington, uh, Washington State a couple months ago. This guy's name is Emmett, and he lives in Puyallup, Washington. It's not how you would say it if you read it, but that's how it's said. He, Emmett lives in Washington. I met him the other day, and he shared his story with us uh, in the group setting that we were in, and this is what he told us. Emmett says, I was born to a family who went to church, but don't be misled by that because it was completely just rules and regulations. We went to church because good people go to church and that's what good people do. So we had to cross those rules off in our life. So that's why we went to church. Uh, he said, but home, while we were a church going family, home was an abusive situation. He said, I was abused physically, emotionally, and verbally all the time. That was home for him. Uh, he was the youngest of five kids, the youngest of five kids, and his parents were married at age 23 and 24. So young parents, lots of kids. He said in the middle of when the economy was like tanking, his dad had a broken back, five kids, bad economy. And he said, I became the kid that dad took his stress out on. He said, I became the stress relief for my parents. When, when life was too much, I was the punching bag. And therefore I was abused physically emotionally and verbally. He said, I can recall washing a car with my dad. He said, all five kids were washing the car with dad. And we only had four rags, four rags and five kids. And, and, and you know what a four and five year old boy, you know what we do when you only have two kids and one object, a fight breaks out. We begin to scuffle about what we're, who's going to get the rag. And he said, we did that like normal little kids do washing the car, fighting over the rag. And I fail in the middle of the argument. He said, what happened was instead of my dad understanding that we had one short rag and we had little kids and just understanding how kids are, he said, instead of that, I can remember my dad picking me up, taking me in the house, drop kicking me down the hallway until I landed at the end of the hall and hit the wall. He said, I can remember dad drop kicking me down the hallway. And instead of understanding when I get kicked down the hallway, he proclaims a loud GD it concerning me and my problem. That was childhood. He said, I recall being three and dad throwing me into my room constantly saying, shut the F up. That was childhood for Emmett. That was fatherhood for Emmett. He said, I, he said, my name, the name that my father called me was worthless POS. That was my name 
for my dad. That's what he called me. He said, when dad got angry, here's what would happen. He said, when dad got angry, I would think, what did I do wrong? When dad kicked me down the hallway, when dad threw me into the room and was cussing at me and yelling at me, he said, my, my thought was I deserve this. I must have done something that has caused this. What did I do to deserve this? What did I do wrong? He didn't think in the mind of like my dad is abusive and this is not good. He said, what did I do wrong? He said, I never felt safe. I had no stability, safety, or trust. And when a friend's dad would get upset, I would brace myself knowing what was coming next, thinking that every dad was like my dad. He said, I I was sent to the principal's office in school one day, and when I was in the principal's office, Emmett told me, he said, I can remember being in the principal's office and him asking me to explain what happened, what I did, and he said, I started to get really angry, and I started to yell at the principal, and I started uh, to cause a scene in his office. And he said, the principal pulled a blanket out, gave me the blanket, and asked me to lay down and take a nap while he went back to work. He said, this was the first time I ever felt safe in the presence of another adult male. The first time I ever felt safe in the presence of a man was in the principal's office when he gave me that blanket and said, just take a nap and get some rest. Never before had he felt safe. Uh, As a teen, uh, the quest for manhood defined Emmett, right? So in the midst of all the chaos and abuse and, and, and things that are going on, he said, I'm on a quest to figure out what manhood is. And and he said he found himself, uh, he sought it through sports, money, and girls. Sports, money, and girls. And one of the girls that got caught up in the quest for manhood, he said, and sadly, uh, she attempted to satisfy that for me. Looking back on that, I can see that that was completely unhealthy. Um, But he said she brought me home to her family and invited me to her church. This girl, caught up in his quest, invites her home. Nobody's ever done that. And I meet her family, and the family invites me to come to church. And because I wanted to be with a girl, I obliged, and I went to church with her. Uh, I said, but I even kind of messed that up because I was so distraught from home that I ended up going to church with her drunk multiple times, and I screwed that up too. But when I would get home and tell my dad that I went to church, he called me an effing idiot for going to church. All right, this was childhood for Emmett. A girl once told Emmett, he said, Jesus loves you and died for your sin. And I thought, what an idiot. Why would he do that for me? This was how childhood shaped Emmett. But at age 17, he told me the story, uh, but short story, make long story short, Emmett put his faith in Jesus at age 17. And while his girlfriend's family uh, celebrated, they're excited. They're like, woohoo. You've, you've, put your, you've been saved. You put your faith in Jesus. We're excited for you. It says they did absolutely nothing to help me grow, and it just felt like another abandoned father. They threw a party for me, but then they left me. Um, as a young kid, I was in a relationship with a girl who is now my wife. I love it when you told me this. He said, I'm in a relationship with a girl that has now become my wife, and we've been dating for a while. And she looks at me one day and says, Emmett, when are you going to propose to me? And he says, you want to marry me? She said, absolutely. He's like, she understands me. She knows me. She still wants to marry me. He says, "Uh, so I proposed to her because she asked me to. They said, but I was terrified. 
And not for the normal reasons that guys are terrified of marriage. He said, I was terrified because I remember thinking I'm going to be just as abusive as my father was once we have our own family. I didn't want to get married because I didn't want to recreate the scenario that I grew up in. Um, we got married and we got married. So he's 17, received Jesus, gets married as a young adult very early. And, and one day he was talking to his brother who had become a Christian after he was. And he, he mentioned that his brother mentioned that he had, he had a mentor, somebody that was mentoring him in the Christian faith. And Emma is like, what the heck is a mentor? And his brother explained, it's just an older man that knows more and kind of takes you along. He's like, that sounds awesome. I've never heard of that. So Emmett begins to meet with a guy named Meshach, who he says was not a father. He was just an older man willing to step in for me. And here's what happened. Meshach helped me to realize that I'm a child of God and loved, not a worthless POS. I'm a child of God and I am loved and I'm not worthless. That's what Meshach taught Emmett. I asked Emmett, because at this point in his story, I'm like, I know what it's like to be, to, 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 you can put it this way, it's like the concrete sets up early in life and, and your image is defined and your identity is defined by a lot of those surroundings. But, but here he is, he's going from worthless POS to child of God and he's loved. And I'm like, what unbelief had to be overcome to get you from there to there? Because that's not an easy turn to make. I'm like, what did that look like? How did you go from such a radical one identity being this to one identity being that. And he told me this story. He said, I was at a conference one time and they were trying to uh, lead us through a process of learning how to pray. And he said, it was a, it was a, a, it was a, a men's conference and, and they had all these men, they're teaching us principles about how to pray and they gave us homework. And they said, we want you right now to, to leave your seat and to go outside and we want you to pray. And, and here's what they instructed them to do. Say, so we want you to go outside and just simply ask, God, what do you want me to hear? What do you want to say to me? So here he is. He says, I go outside, uh, and, and, and I remember thinking this is kind of weird, but I'm going to do it because I want to learn. And, and he, says, he says that very thing. He says, God, what do you want to say to me? What do you want me to hear? And I heard this. I'm proud of you, son. God told him in that moment, I'm proud of you, son. He said, that was a, he said, I'd been called kid. I'd been called child. I'd been called boy, but I never in my life had Emmett been called son until that very moment. And he said, that was the defining moment in my life that helped me believe in my new identity that Jesus had given me. That was the defining moment when God called me son. It was in this moment that Emmett experienced one of the greatest elements of the gospel. One of the best things about the gospel, Emmett experienced it right here in its adoption. Its adoption. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5 with me. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. We're going to have our whole discussion series based out of Ephesians chapter 1. So I encourage you, read it, reread it, memorize it, do whatever you need to do. 
Let's read verses four and five. And it says, for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He being God predestined us to adopted, to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus, according to the pleasure of his good will. So I want to ask you real quick, let's reflect on Emmett's story. And when I ask the question, what happens when these things don't happen? Right? Going back to to father to son relationship to the home and the family. What happens when these things are absent? What's the impact? Just reflect on Emmett's story. It gives us a very clear illustration. It's kind of like a magnified illustration. You get to see on a magnified scale what happens even on a smaller scale sometimes. What do you mean? Okay, uh, another generation sees the same habits, the same mindset. Uh, so when these things, when dads are not providing, not teaching, not guiding, not protecting, then oftentimes the son is not providing, not teaching, not guiding, not protecting. We have another generation that grows up without it. What else? What happens when these things don't happen? Think about Emmett. Think about a story. What were the impact of this missing in his life? Yeah, leaves a void. And Emmett described his void as a quest for manhood. Why was he on a quest for manhood? Because it had not been displayed. Had to define it. Figure it out. Test the waters in other places. What else? What happens? Reflected on the spouse? What do you mean by that? Okay. Yep. So you repeat the process again for your own spouse. Like that's what he said. He said, I don't want to get married because I'm afraid I'm going to abuse you like my dad abused me and my mom. Repeat the process. Think about his heart. What was going on in Emmett's life? Well, he said, I never felt safe. I never felt secure. Um, I never felt stability or trust. So when these things are missing, when you don't have a dad protecting, then I never feel safe. When you don't have a dad providing, then I never feel secure. What, do you, what if you don't have a dad guiding? What do, you, what do you feel? I feel lost. And that's why I'm on a quest that actually creates more lostness and more chaos and more craziness. What if I don't have a, a dad that's teaching? Stupid, worthless, unable. What if you don't have a dad that's modeling? Well, we kind of already hit that. Then we go into, what about dad that doesn't discipline? I'm undisciplined, feel entitled. Maybe nobody's ever humbled me, corrected me. All right, so let me give you this. 
63% of youth suicide belong to fatherless children. I'm going to give you some numbers real quick. 63% of suicide in youth are fatherless children. 90% of homeless youth are fatherless. 85% with behavior disorder are fatherless. 71% of high school dropouts are fatherless. 85% of kids in prison are fatherless. And the, the, the stats go on and on and on and on. And that's a, that's a reality of the fact when these things are missing, it creates realities in the heart and in the mind that lead us into these things. Right? When these things are lacking, we try to make up for them or recreate them or reproduce in some other form or fashion. And now we end up with these things. Right? Suicide is a result of mainly what, Zach? <laughs> You're the psychology guy in here. I mean, we, we, we have suicide stats because we have depression. I mean, you don't wake up one day and say, death sounds good. You struggle with depression, anxiety. Why do you do that? Because these things are lacking oftentimes. You know, why do we have behavior issues? Because we don't have a discipline thing. You know, you can equate all these things to other things, and that's what happens. And with the increasing number of premarital birth and high divorce rate, it's interesting. Um, in 1960, um, 1969% of kids were in one-parent homes, and in 2012, 21%. So in 50 years, we, we, we went from 9% to 21% one-parent homes, fatherless homes. What happens when dads don't do this? This is what happens. Let me tell you one more thing, and we're going to dive back into the Scriptures. Fathers... Either present or absent, either one, serve as mirrors for children to discern their own identity. If you remember one thing this morning, we're going to apply this thing to everything. Fathers, whether present or absent, serve as mirrors for children to discern their own identity. When I look at my father, I find out who I am. When I look at my dad, it reflects back to me my value, my worth, my, my manhood. It, it's, a, it's a reflection to me to discern who I am in my own identity. How he treats me is a reflection back to me for my own identity. Uh, so let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 and say, let's use this as a mirror and ask it, what does it reveal? So I'm going to read it to you again, and then we're going to ask, what does this reveal about who we are and our identity if this is true? He says, for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure 
of his will. Now, you're going to learn some Bible study skills right here. Maybe you're going to learn to read the scriptures and, and, and to discern what's going on and reflect it back to you. So I'm asking you, what do those two verses tell us about ourselves? What do they reveal to us about who we are? Read the first. Chosen. Chosen. Let me me rephrase this. He chose to father us. We weren't accidents. We weren't oops. We, We weren't unplanned. We're not an inconvenience to God, our Heavenly Father. He chose to become our Father. Right? It's... I'm, I'm, I'm the accident. I'm the one that was unplanned. I'm the one, you know, I'm always the leftover. I'm always the one they didn't really want. But, but in Christ, you've been adopted by your heavenly father and he chose to father you intentionally, purposefully. He chose us to be what? before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. So uh, let's think about this. When those things are missing from a dad, then it's always my fault. When, when Emmett said, what have I done wrong to deserve this? But in Jesus, we can stand in the presence of our heavenly father, blameless. We don't flinch that dad's going to beat us. We don't flinch that dad's going to abuse us. We don't flinch saying it's my fault. No, we get to stand in the presence of God because of Jesus. And we get to be near to him because now through Jesus, we are blameless children that get to approach our heavenly father because he chose to be our father. So drastically different than Emmett's story. So drastically different. What else? Keep reading. It said, what was right before that? It said, before the foundations of the world. Before the foundation. What what does that tell us? If if he chose to be our father way before he ever made creation, what, what does that speak to our own identity? What does that tell us about who we are? Huh? We're important. You ever felt second rate to your dad's truck? To his project? to what he's doing in the yard, to what he's trying to create with his hands, what he's trying to accomplish in his life. When it comes to our heavenly father, said before he was ever concerned with physical things, he was concerned with your spiritual things. He wanted to be your father and we take precedent over his projects. We are the prize of his creation. We are the, uh, the object of his affection. And, and our, no matter how your earthly father treated you, no matter how you think about yourself, because he chose to work on a truck instead of work on your school project, when it comes to our heavenly father, before the foundations of the world, before I ever wandered, he created a path for me to come back home. Before I was ever lost, he made a way. I am priority over all his other projects. I'm valuable. He loves me. He pursues me. 
So what else? Let's keep reading. It says he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ. Uh, what, is the, what does the term adoption make you think of? What, did somebody give me like a, a, a layman's definition of adoption? What comes to your mind? What is adoption? Do what? To make something yours. To make something yours? So I, there was a kid who wasn't mine. In fact, he belonged to another. And I want him to belong to me. That's adoption, right? I legally had no reason to care for that kid, but now I'm going to take him in and make him my own. He was somebody else's kid that now becomes my kid. He was somebody else's liability, and I want him to be my liability, right? Um, And this, I wrestled with this, this concept this week as I looked at this. I was born the child of another whom I could never please, right? It's just like Emmett. He was born... A child of a dad that was never going to be pleased with him. He was never going to be satisfied with Emmett. Emmett was the baseball, football, track, acting, everything star. He described to me his story. He, he asked his, his buddy the other day, he's like, what was it like? He's like, I was such a jerk in school. It must have been horrible being my friend. His friend said, oh, I'm, on the contrary, I love being your friend. He said, when we walked down the hall together, people stared. They loved it. He was a complete jerk. But he was a superstar in every arena in life, but his dad was never going to care, never going to measure up, never going to be satisfied with him. But we have a father who chose to be our father, even though he wasn't our father, and he is completely pleased when our original father never would be. We are born children of wrath. Read in chapter 2, that's what Paul says in Ephesians. You were born children under wrath. You will never satisfy your original father. No matter what you do, no matter how good you are, no matter how perfect you try to be, it's it's not. But the interesting thing is, in Jesus, he's already pleased with you. Already pleased with you. You don't have to perform. Uh, I'm adopted as a child of him who is already pleased Last one that I had on the list. Read the end of verse 5. Somebody read that loud for us. Start with according. According to his favor and will. Other versions say according to his pleasure and purpose and will. God willed it. That means... He wants it. That was his desire. It was according to his pleasure. Means exactly what it sounds like. He enjoyed it. He takes pleasure in being our father. He wanted to be. When you look at uh, Isaiah chapter 53, it said it was the Lord. let Let me set the stage. 700 years B.C., The prophet Isaiah is speaking the word of the Lord and Isaiah is giving us a vision of one who's going to come, who's going to be a suffering servant to bring many into the presence of God. And it says concerning what Isaiah said, and this is looking forward to Jesus. Isaiah says this in Isaiah 53, 10, the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. 
God was pleased to crush his servant Jesus. Why? Because he finds satisfaction in beating his son? No, because in doing so, he made him a guilt offering. He will see his seed, his offspring, you and I, coming into the presence to be brothers with Jesus, sons of the Father. When he crushed Jesus and he bled out and he died on the cross and he breathed his last, God took pleasure because he took pleasure in you. Not because he wanted to see Jesus suffer, but he wanted to see you healed. Not because he wants to see Jesus lost, he wants to see you found. So it's according to his desire, his plan, his pleasure that Jesus suffered on our behalf because when he sees you, he takes pleasure in you. He chose to be your dad. You don't have to cover up and flinch every time you try to come into the presence of God. He says, in Jesus, you're blameless. Stand before him, full confidence. Go to the throne of God with all confidence. We are not children of wrath anymore. We'll never satisfy that father. We're children of God and he's already satisfied. He was satisfied when Jesus paid our cost of our sin. He wants us. He wills us. He desires us and he takes pleasure in us. Holy cow, what a different picture than the picture that Emmett painted. What a drastically different picture. I am the Lord's pleasure. This new identity as a beloved son transformed transformed Emmett's world. He became a a loving father, a caring husband. Uh, Emmett did not repeat the things that he saw as a child. In fact, all his worst fears never came true. Him and his wife have been together for a long time, have multiple babies together who are healthy and loved. Uh, He is a leader of men. Emmett Uh, We cross paths because he is a leader of men's ministry. He disciples a dozen other men who are going to disciple other men. He is a leader of leaders when it comes to men. Such a drastic difference because he believes that he is now a beloved son of God. God said, I'm pleased with you, son. Uh, He enjoys and extends stability, safety, and trust. Changed his world. But what are the everyday implications of our adoption in Christ? What does all this matter for you and me? It's a really cool story for Emmett to tell. What's the matter right now for you and me? I want us to end right here with this question and, and kind of unwrap that. Anybody ever heard of the concept of father wounds? Right? It's like when, when those things that we originally talked about are, are absent, uh, therapists or counselors would call it a father wound. Um, just means that those things in your childhood, they affect you in your adulthood. Father wounds can be caused by a variety of variables and from a variety of people. I don't think father wounds are limited to fathers. I think any, the, the, the concept can, can translate into other people as well, right? Obviously, fathers have a unique influence and a unique ability to influence, I think, but I think this is relatable in other things. Father wounds are created by a handful of things. These are the last things we want to talk about. Number one, neglect. When I'm neglected, uh, it makes me feel unimportant. Father wounds created by absence. That's another one of those spelling mishaps that I encounter every week. Uh, Absence can come through divorce, separation, death. 
that, that figure that was so influential, now he's gone for whatever reason. Can come through abuse. Come through control. To have a figure in your life who is oppressive or dominating. And it can come through withholding. Every one of us has heard the story. Dad never told me he loved me. He never hugged me. He never, he just withheld affection. He withheld his blessings. He withheld his affirmation towards me. And here's the thing. These type of things can become our mirror, which create our identity with which we view ourselves. If I'm always neglected, then when I look in the mirror, I feel worthless. If affection and presence has been withheld from me, when I look in the mirror, I'm not worth it, right? Because these things affect the way I see myself. They become a mirror for me. When I see some, when I, when I've always been dominated, abused, oppressed, obviously I'm weak and stupid and I can't handle myself, right? These things create wounds which define us, the marks in our life with which we see ourselves, identifying marks. Let me ask it this way. What do you not do because of what's been done to you? Are there things in your life that you just won't do? Maybe you should, but you won't because of something that was done to you. What do you, who do you hurt because you've been hurt? That's a wound that becomes an identifying mark. Because I'm hurt, I'm hurting others. Who do you keep a distance from after someone else got painfully close to you or stayed away from you? Right? I won't get close to my spouse because somebody else was physically abusive with me. That's a wound that leaves its mark. Right? What are you holding back because it was held back from you? Interesting thing about that whole story of my dad never said he loved me, whatever it is. There's two responses to that. Either I treat him the same way or I always hug and tell my kids I love them in, intentionally. Right? But sometimes we withhold because it was help, withheld from us. What do you constantly cover for fear of the shame you will feel? If you had somebody that was controlling or abusive, you've got to cover it up. You've got something in your life that's not just right, you cover it up for fear of the shame that they're going to cause on you. That's a, that's a wound that becomes an identifying mark. What are you trying to prove because you never measured up? your whole life, your whole identity based on performance because somebody never took pleasure or was satisfied in your performance? These are wounds. These are identifying marks. The words, I'm proud of you, son, changed Emmett's world. When he looked in the mirror, he saw something different for the first time. I'm proud of you, son. The question I have for you is what would you need to hear for these to no longer be your identifying marks? What would it take for you to hear to be spoken over your heart, that God, our heavenly father would say, Mark, this is, this is the way I feel about you. And immediately it erases everything else. My identifying marks become child of God who is loved and cherished and he takes pleasure in me. What do you need to hear? To quit seeing yourself in this and see yourself through the lens of verses four and five. I think every one of us has a different answer to that question, but I think we all have the same answer. 
the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus speaks whatever it is that you need to hear. It tells you whatever it is you need to hear. You don't feel loved. You feel worthless. He pursued you before the foundations of the world. He came for you. He he bled out for you, died for you, was buried for you, and wasn't left there. But he, by the power of God who lives inside of everyone who believes, he was raised from the dead for you. Whatever you need to hear to quit seeing these things in the mirror, the gospel shows you and tells you it's that good that it erases your old identity and you become a child of God, a new identity, loved, cherished, chosen. It's good. It's good. Whatever you need to hear, it's right there. And John tells us to all who receive him, he gives the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. To those who believe in his name. What's his name? Jesus. To those who receive Jesus, you get the right to become children of God. You're no longer who you were defined by what you've seen, by what's been done. It's no longer your identifying mark. What is your identifying mark? It's the gospel. This is the good news of adoption. This is the good news of adoption. You no longer have to hurt others because you've been hurt. Why? Because by his wounds, you've been healed. Whatever you need to hear, the gospel speaks it. And to those who receive him, who believe in his name, you have the right to become children of God, not of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but by the desire and the intent of God himself. You're not an accident. You're not an afterthought. Before the foundations of the world, you became priority over any one of his projects. That's who you are. That's who you are. Can you believe it? Can you receive it? Confess Jesus is Lord, then you can be saved. This can become you to those who receive it. Let me pray for you, and you guys come lead us in a song. Father, we thank you that we are children of our Heavenly Father. I thank you for Dad's...